So my extremely fancy breakfast has arrived, so we have to take a break. I'm expecting one myself. Uh, uh, Paul says he's expecting one. Sorry. Oh, <laughs> uh, Neil says sorry. There's a quarantine and lockdown and stuff, so he can't. Luckily for him. Yep. Oh, that is a perfectly poached egg, too. It's Friday, December 4th, and this is the Dutch News Podcast, your weekly chance to catch up with what's been going on here in the Netherlands. I'm Molly Quell, contributing editor at Dutch News and Belgian Legs in the Air partygoer. With me today is Gordon Derrick, my fellow contributing editor at Dutch News and victim of the second worst Kafka-esque nightmare on this podcast this week, and Paul Paters, master student in civil engineering and no longer needed triplet. How's it going, guys? Well, yeah. I'm curious about your job title, Molly. What's that all I about? I mean, I, it's unfortunate for you guys, but I definitely won the job title situation this week. That's right. I, I put in this job title at some point in the week, and I completely forgot about it, so yeah. I, I'm laughing out loud right now. I had again, another idea, but happened. I was like, no, no, clearly we have to go with this. Uh, this yes. is referring to my extremely extraordinary discovery this week that the word in French, I'm not going to say it in French because my French is very bad, but the way that you describe a sort of uh, group sex act, the, the the act of group sex is uh, by putting your, yeah, it says your, your legs are in the air sort of is the yeah. way that they describe this. And the reason I found this out is because a extremely anti-LGBT Hungarian MEP got arrested at a gangbang, uh, a, a gay male <laughs> gangbang um, in Brussels that was being organized directly across the street from the main Brussels train station, and it got raided, and he jumped out the window, but got stuck, and the cops caught him, and he did not have identification on him, and so he informed <laughs> them that they couldn't arrest him because he has diplomatic immunity because he's a member of European Parliament. Yeah. Yeah. Was it not also straight across the road from the um uh, from the police station as well yes. as the train station? Yes. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Basically, basically, so, the street where this uh, this bar was located on was used as the parking lot of this uh, of the police headquarters yeah. of yeah. this municipality yeah. in uh, in Brussels. So yeah. yeah, that was was hilarious. And of course, the irony is that the French word for war should be party of the hands in the air. <laughs> yes, that was a great <laughs> joke that you made. I was very impressed with this joke. But we yeah. did spend what day did this news break? Tuesday or Wednesday? I don't remember. Yeah. Everyone on Twitter just making sort of. End Endless, endless, hilarious jokes about this. Um, of course, this all got raided because there is a lockdown in Brussels, and so yeah. you're not supposed to be gathering in, in groups. Although, Belgium, you can have two cuddle buddies. So, should it have only been <laughs> a gay threesome, um, that, the cops that would, no would not have, have any okay. reason to bust it up. Yeah. Or theoretically, yeah. it could be okay. Or or all yeah. these people were each other's uh, cuddle buddies. So yeah. Perhaps. I mean, if they were like all a gay gangbang household, it also would have been <laughs> fine. Uh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we were we were all all, uh, all of us were hoping that it was uh, uh, this MEP involved was an FA Day MEP. Yes, of course. But unfortunately, that wasn't the no, case. The, the, the outcome even better. was even yeah. It was even better, yeah. yeah. It yes. was it was a member of Viktor Orbán's um, yeah. uh, party, uh, the Hungarian party. Not just yeah. any guy, but the guy who drafted Hungarians, the Hungary's new constitution, yeah. explicitly like anti-gay constitution. 
Yeah. yeah. Isn't it, isn't it funny how all these all these things were? It's funny how that works always out. Come back. Yeah, there's <laughs> delicious irony about it. Yeah, and then and then he went on to say also. Uh, uh, um, I read a thing from a Hungarian source this uh, uh, the, 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 this week on Twitter that apparently says several members of uh, his uh, Orbán's party and members of Poland's party as well uh, d- d- attended these parties, but um, uh, but it was all kind of very meticulously arranged on specific dates. So basically, the excuse was, that, and of course they all got busted for breaking the coronavirus rules, but they would, their defence was they were doing it in a limited and very specific way, which uh, <laughs> w- w- which has lovely echoes of, um, uh, of Brexit as well. So I yeah. mean, in his Defense. He did offer to take the Corona fine, so he is going yeah. to do that, and he so, has so, resigned. So, 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 so he's got more integrity than Grapperhaus. Yeah, that's now. for yeah. sure. <laughs> that, that's for sure. Yeah. Well, Grapperhaus didn't try to change the constitution into saying that uh, his particular wedding was allowed. Yeah, yeah. Grapperhaus also didn't try and escape through a window when he was. Uh, <laughs> oh, I would love that. That, that would have been, been some That would have made yeah. for a better yeah, political I mean, scandal. Yeah. Yeah, just imagine the Bond villain trying to trying to yeah, <laughs> trying to flee through a window. That'd be yeah. the icing on the cake. Yeah, that is wedding. And, so and Paul- then declaring that he had some sort of political immunity, even though that wasn't isn't mm-hmm. the case in the Netherlands. But okay, yeah. yeah. So Paul, I saw on a photo on Twitter this week indicating that you are um, fired uh, from your position as third uh, triplet in your set of yeah. triplets. Yeah, my services are no longer needed. Yes. I was informed. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it, if uh, people on the podcast don't know it yet, I have four sisters and with two of them I form a triplet or a triplets. Triplets. I think a triplet. You are tri- you, no, you, you, are, you triplets are triplets. With, you are triplets. The three of you are triplets. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, in the Netherlands, we form one triplet, know, but in, yeah. in, in English, apparently it is plural, mm. but yeah, no, this is a ridiculous language. So uh, let's move on. <laughs> um, so I am a triplet with two other sisters and uh, two of my older sisters uh, gave birth at some point in the year. And one of them... Uh, <laughs> Just at some random point in the year. You're not really sure when. You haven't been paying no, that much attention. No, it's all a blur. It's all a blur. <laughs> Uh, and my two sisters were going to babysit our cousin. It's a cousin then, right? No, it's yeah. a niece or a nephew. Oh, then it's a niece. Okay, yeah. they, they were going to babysit my niece. Um, uh, but my first sister arrived at my other sister's place and she was wearing the exact same pink colored sweater, which is a coincidence because they never wear, even though they are identical twins, they never wear the same clothes. And then my niece arrived and she was wearing the exact same colored pink sweater as well <laughs> so they took a selfie with each other and they are all extremely blonde uh, 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 by the way but one is one year old and the other are 28 year olds so they made this selfie and they sent it to me and they said well sorry Paul we found our third triplet <laughs> we are no longer needed yes it was so very I'm, cute so now I'm disinherited as this uh, as the third triplet yeah. so that's very sad did you not <laughs> offer to wear a similar colored pink sweater in order to get back into the gang <laughs> I did not because I I felt that they were very content with the newest edition so I just simply gave up. I mean yeah. in their defense the newest edition is a lot cuter than you are. That is true I'm yeah. not denying that. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah and 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 the, con- and, and the consolation is it'll be much easier for you now to switch your health insurance this right. year. So <laughs> I'm sure they find some way to mess everything up. Yeah. It could only be made worse if your niece had the same birthday that you guys did, because that would really just ruin the system. As a matter of fact, uh, my sisters, they were, were, were simultaneously pregnant and they were uh, expecting on the same day. Oh, really? Um, 
and mm. on our birthday. No, so serious? The, oh, yeah, I yeah. forgot about this. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, so there was a real possibility that we would have five birthdays in the family, and then this would have made everything even worse, of course. Yeah. Um, but mm. luckily for us, um, uh, Noah was born on the January 1st. Yeah. Oh, okay. Gotcha. And yeah. the other was January 3rd, so I always have to remember which one was first. Yeah. A little mm. uh, New Year's baby. Yeah. Poor, poor kid got welcomed into the year in 2020. Thought their future was so bright. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Been, yeah, the, yeah, what, yeah. What must you think if uh, your your 2020 has been all you've ever known your whole life? That's hmm. I can't I mean, even imagine. This is awful. Well, yeah. uh, from everything I've seen, um, uh, my niece is experiencing. I'm very, uh, I'm envying her because yeah. basically she all all she has mm. to do is eat uh, vegetable uh, brakjes and uh, and uh, play with uh, listen to children's song and play with toys and yeah that's a better yeah. life than I'm having this right is, now yeah, this, is true. this is definitely a much superior life yeah and she's getting yeah. loads of attention because her parents aren't going away or anything yeah so, yeah that's yeah. true yeah and Gordon, you are, uh, I, I hear you have a, a horrible update to the story that you told on the podcast last week this, about attempting that, to get a driver's license, which is I not going well. Going to, I fear there are going to be more uh, updates uh, coming on this. This is an ongoing, never-ending saga to try and to... to so it's it basically the Bonnich's affair, license. but with you trying to get a driver's license. <laughs> it's affair, yeah, it's a affair, but with me trying to stay on the roads. Um, it's, it's just been an absolute shambles. And the, the weird thing is, I, I had to... D- 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 I'm be- uh, yeah, basically, I just just keep discovering the Dutch authorities are putting more kind of obstacles in the road or hoops that I have to jump through to get this license, which should be a straightforward thing. But I, what I thought would be the the easiest bit of it, having gone through all the things <laughs> that the CBI required of me in terms of tests and exams and a driving test and all the rest of it, I thought surely the most straightforward bit of this is going to the commander house and just filling in a form, literally just filling a paper form that they hand to you um, to actually apply for the license once you've got all your bits and pieces from CBR. But no, it turns out that it takes you three weeks to get an appointment to do this. Yeah. Which is yeah. a problem because um, I'm, yeah, well, well, my, my license expires in two weeks' time. Uh, so it expires on the 14th of December. Um, oh. And uh, my appointment is on the 24th. Uh, which means I have to find another. Which I now meant I had to ring up the driving standards agency in the UK and get another piece of paper because if your license has expired and you live in an EU country, which uh, by default we still do, just about, um, then you have to get a declaration from your issuing licensing authority saying they don't object to you being issued with a driving Dutch driving license. Okay. So, so I yeah, to get all that done. So, yeah. so you thought you did everything within the deadline, and um, yeah, and then all of a sudden, uh, yeah, the committee has decided. Uh, no, you can't have your fifteen-minute appointment for three weeks. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, some people don't have internet, and they have to just show up at the doorstep of the gemeentehuis and then yeah. uh, press a button and get a bonnetje. Couldn't you just try to to do that? I guess that uh, might be worth uh, yeah, investigating. Uh, worth having a go, yeah, investigating. You can't yeah. at the Delft Gemeente. You can't do this. You have to make an appointment. If you go in, they'll make yeah. an appointment for you at the desk. I mean, I don't know how it works. I guess in the Hague, but I also had drama. I didn't. It didn't have to wait three weeks to get the appointment. But when I did my license, I had this whole drama fest where. Apparently because of some like scandal whereby they were selling driver's licenses, essentially, there's now this like multi-step system where you have to get the person who takes your form that you will eventually get to fill out is cannot Mm. be the person who then gives you your driver's license. And so 
I thought I was being smart by taking this like 8 a.m. first in the morning appointment because then you don't like have to wait. And also I live like two minutes from the Hamenta house in, in Delft. And instead what happened was, is I had the same guy both times, but because he had processed the form, when I came back to pick up my actual license, he couldn't give it to me. And he had to go find someone. There was like nobody else working at or this early in the morning. He didn't like go upstairs and find like some random secretary to come down and like fill out all this paperwork so that it wasn't like the same person giving it to me as part of this like check. It was very annoying. Yeah. 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 Well, but still, at least um, you know when you had a smaller minister with you, the blessing deans didn't come in and uh, make you pay them back ten thousand euros. This is true. I mean, it's never. It's it will never be as bad as the Tuslaka affair, which we're going to talk about in a bit. But first, Paul, what is our Alpef of the week? There was so much to choose from. That's true, but this week's Ophef is about the municipality of Amsterdam again. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, the city ruined everyone's St. Martin's Day trick-or-treating by advising people to give children Brussels sprouts instead of candy. And this week, it has ruined Christmas for us all. Shocking. The, the city published the Aanvullende Sfeerverlichtingsbeleidskader. Uh, that's a 40-page document with strict rules and regulations on Christmas decorations and Christmas lights that will come into effect next year. And it basically means that Amsterdamers who want to decorate the outsides of their home with more than one square meters or more than 10% of the facade will have to report their plans to the municipality for approval at least 72 hours in advance. Uh, the new rules include the lights uh, have to be turned off between midnight and 6 a.m. and Christmas decorations are not allowed between February and October. The idea behind the rules is uh, that the municipality wants to end the uh, Christmas light jungle uh, that they experienced the cu- uh, last couple of years in the city or what they call lichtvervuiling. I think that's one of those typical Dutch words that we that we have and we can't translate to English. No. Lichtvervuiling means light pollution uh, and we were talking about the word um, uh, uh, meldplicht, sort of obligation to uh, report what you are want to do, and there's not a not an English word for that. Yeah, we use th- the term light pollution does exist in English, but it generally yeah. refers to like a city gives off light pollution, right? So like if yeah, you go to a yeah. place that's really dark, there's no light pollution. They will say yeah. it doesn't specifically refer to like you and three of your neighbors putting up like too many light up <laughs> Santa clauses. Yeah, yeah, and this, the 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 new rules were of course ridicu- ridiculed on social media, especially because the municipality announced it as part of its plans to reduce the regulatory burden in the city. Yeah, uh, and I read the aanvullende um, sfeerverlichtingsbeleidskader for everyone, so nobody has to. Thank you. Uh, and the the rules are 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 insane. First of all, how do you determine if a light or a number of lights illuminates more than one square meters of a facade? I That's don't know. N- no, and the, the 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 guidelines also say that it is impossible to determine, but people nonetheless have to make an educated guess. And then it continues to sort of uh, draw up all these rules based on a percentage of illuminated facade. For example, uh, only 30% of a building is allowed to be illuminated. Uh, uh, and also um, 90% of the Christmas lights used must be warm white, uh, and only five other different colors are allowed for the other 10 percent so yeah how on earth you're going to determine that it is it is it remains the question and also um it says that light should accentuate the architecture of the facade so that it remains visible and architecturally readable as opposed to 
when it, the facade is not illuminated, so you can't see it and it's not visible. I mean, the whole point of a of a of lights is that you can see it, right? So I liked the one. So, yeah. I saw one picture that you had tweeted where it was like the the they had some sort of like Christmas light up snowflakes or something, and so like they had yeah. hung the way that they were hung was like not totally in a straight line in the window like centered and justified or whatever and this was like an example of something you can't do and i was like you have yeah. got to be kidding me i mean i guess i understand if there's a problem in amsterdam i don't know if this is a real problem of people putting up like totally insane christmas lights that like make it difficult for the neighbors to sleep or whatever this sometimes comes up in the u.s because people will do these giant um christmas light like sort of demonstrations and then like you know the traffic is so bad in front of their house of people driving up you know in front of it that it creates all kinds of traffic <laughs> patterns or whatever yeah. or they do it with like really loud music and it bothers the neighbors like that kind of stuff i get that maybe you don't want like people to be doing this but like what is your justification for finding people for not getting pre-approval and then busting out a like ruler to make sure that their lights are hanging you know exactly in the center of the window or something yeah I mean, the whole point of snowflakes is that they fall randomly, right? right. So, yeah, why yeah. why don't why do you want to have it in a grid or in an architectural grid? Right. But um, yeah, the and I also love that they because that's what what municipalities always do when whenever they draw up these kind of rules, they give examples on how uh, you're supposed to do it or not. So they have all these photos with with uh, checks and with crosses. Uh, and apparently, Harrods in London can stay in Amsterdam because it was approved. Oh, oh, okay. That's well, good, good news. <laughs> well, well that, 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 yeah, that might yet happen, given the I mean, the European Medical Agency did it, so Harrod is maybe next. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, in other really happy news, uh, <laughs> which I'm sure Paul and Gordon are very I'm, happy I'm, about. I've just got the champagne out of the fridge, actually. I yeah. know, I figured. <laughs> I'm surprised, actually, you guys hadn't cracked the champagne earlier, to be honest. <laughs> We did. I have some personal a personal news, which is, is that I am going to be leaving the podcast at the end of this year. Um, I have some other things uh. going on in life that I'm going to be working on. Although, uh, Gordon did ask me yesterday if I would come back to do some election stuff. So I guess you're not really getting rid of me <laughs> not totally for very rid of you, long. No. no. Yeah, it's, it's all Mark Richards' fault again. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's all Mark Richards' fault again. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of stuff at this moment that you can blame on the, this, the bad in this country on, a, on, on Mark Rutte. Um Yeah, so my my last podcast will be whenever we do the uh, last podcast of the year, which we haven't decided yet because we don't plan that far in advance. So uh, mm. perhaps in the, it'll be in the next couple of weeks. Um, it's been a lot of fun. I've had a really good time. I have super enjoyed working with you guys and doing this podcast, and I hope that it goes on and continues and does uh, great things yeah I, 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 I couldn't quite believe actually when I look back uh, that we've been doing this for exactly four years four now. years I, 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 I yeah. never believed it would uh, run that long but uh, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's been a great experience it's been a delight to work with you and um, yeah well, obviously uh, you've uh, now moving on to better and uh, um, uh, yeah m more important and certainly more lucrative um, uh, other <laughs> your, lines your of work so, so yeah. we can only wish you well in that <laughs> yeah indeed and um, we will we will miss Truby Ferry much yes, yes i know that you'll miss yeah. truby the most i mean truby <laughs> can stay if you want that's that's totally oh, fine yeah, yeah, you don't you know deal. he can stay uh, just to be clear i'm not leaving dutch news just just the sort no. of podcast production side of it so i'll still be around to do some uh, some dutch news stuff yeah 
Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah, we, we were worried that this might potentially have some kind of impact on our mystery anonymous um, uh, d- 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 live tweeter at the press conferences. No, no, but no, no. But you've had uh, no. personal reassurances to that that person is also uh, going to uh, still be imposed. Yes, no, that, that person will still be around. We will not, we will not miss out on the live tweeting stuff. Good. I, I, I promise. This week, there is, of course, Corona news. We will update you on the Forum for Democracy drama from last week, tell you about the most important election in the nation, and do a very, very deep dive into the Tuslache affair. Coronavirus infections almost ground to a halt again this week. On Thursday, there were more than 5,600 new cases. That's uh, the biggest number in six days and brought the average for the week back up to 5,000. Cases have been oscillating between 4,000 and 6,000 for almost a month now, although there is better news in the hospitals where the total number of patients has declined by 10% in the last week and intensive care patients have gone down by 12.5%. Also, there are fewer cases of infection in nursing homes, uh, so the worst effects of the second wave seem to be being contained, but it doesn't look as if the cabinet will be announcing any relaxation of measures at the next press conference, which is next Next Tuesday, December the 8th. But it, this, all of this doesn't matter, Gordon, because the end is in sight. We are getting a vaccination. Corona is over, right? Yep. Yep. It's all systems go. We've got the green lights. Get the vaccines in and start rolling out the vaccination. According to <laughs> Health Minister Hugo de Jonge. Who is um, always completely yeah. accurate as to when anything is going to be rolled out during Corona. He is completely accurate and wholly trustworthy on everything. Yes, he says, all we're waiting for now is the European Medicines Agency to sign off the vaccine and then we can get sticky needles into arms from January the 4th. So that's good news, according to Hugo de Jonge. Um, unfortunately, if you ask anyone who actually works in the medical profession, it's uh, somewhat more complicated. Can't uh, imagine. Yeah. Ella Carlsbeck, chair of the National Association of Family Doctors, said she was surprised to learn the date of January the 4th, five minutes before Hugo de Jonge announced it on national television. Um, so did did Hugo de Jonge <laughs> do with Trump? Yes. Uh, yes, yeah. basically. Yeah. Um, well, no, no. Usually Trump announces stuff and then people and hear then, about it. Yeah. She, at least she heard it, yeah. five minutes before it. Yeah. 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 He, he did actually think before he spoke, um, but not long before he spoke. So, yeah, in that <laughs> sense, he wasn't like Trump. Yeah. So, so, so there are all kinds of complicated issues with uh, ordering the vaccine, delivering the vaccine, and particularly storing the vaccine. Um, one of the vaccines, I think, the Pfizer vaccine, needs to be kept in very cold storage until a couple of days before you actually use it, um, which makes it difficult for it to get out to doctor surgeries in time because they don't have deep cold storage so um, yeah uh, so, yes, so January the 4th looks like a pretty ambitious target effectively um, Dion is, does have a bit of a track record of making these rash promises you might remember back in March uh, he told Parliament that we could have 2,400 intensive care beds and he said he'd had that confirmed by the head of the National Intensive Care Association Dudu Commas but Commas later said that uh, he'd basically been paged by um, uh, by de Jonge in the middle of the parliamentary debate who said can you confirm 2,400 beds and he sort of said well <laughs> what, no. do you want me, what, what do you want me to say yes yeah. but yeah but there was actually no way they could have done that in reality yeah didn't de Jonge uh, <laughs> also promise us an app in a weekend which yes. I think we just got like a week ago or something he promised yeah. us like two apps he, he said the app would definitely be ready I think before the start of the summer holiday and yeah. we got it in October yeah so yeah delayed summer holidays I guess yeah, so we can look forward to being vaccinated sometime in 2023, I guess. Yeah, I guess huh. just in time for Trump to be running for his second term. We'll get the vaccination. Yeah. Indeed. 
So who is going to be getting the vaccine first? Uh, the government's ordered a million doses of the Pfizer vaccine to be delivered this month. That's enough to immunize 450,000 people. Those doses are mainly expected to be given to people in care homes. Uh, there's also another 1.6 million Pfizer vaccines and 400,000 doses of the Moderna vaccine coming in the first quarter of next year. They reckon by the end of March, they should have around 1.6 million people or nearly 10% of the population immunized. Uh, people over 70 will get it first, then the over 60s and people with underlying health conditions, uh, and it'll be distributed first in people who are in institutional care, then via the doctor surgeries, and finally the last batch, which is uh, around 6.5 million people, basically people who are young, healthy, have no um, health issues, uh, they will get it last uh, on a kind of mass uh, GGD kind of uh, um, uh, uh, vaccination schedule, uh, and that might not be until August. So we're going to have the under half a meter salmon leaving for uh, a little while yet. Yeah. I wonder what this is going to do to summer festival season next year. Yeah, I, know I, I, wonder, if you'll need a, I wonder if you'll need a certificate to show you've been vaccinated yeah. or something. Yeah. But masks are now compulsory and people who don't wear them will be fined, right? I mean, we finally, <laughs> finally caught up with the rest of the world and have a mask law that is compulsory and will be enforced. Right, Gordon? Right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Great. Again, this is another yes and no one. Um, it's not, it's uh, not the answer I'm hoping for, buddy. No, I know. It's not the answer anyone's hoping for. But yes, we, we had the law making masks mandatory. That uh, came into effect on December the 1st. There were lots of... You might remember we talked about it for a few weeks beforehand and everyone was kind of primed and ready for it, uh, except for the Boas, who are the people who actually enforce it. Um, who didn't sort out their paperwork in time. Maybe they had to wait three weeks for an appointment at the commander. I don't know. But anyway, in, in any event... D they, um, they didn't have a fight code yet. Yeah, yes. basically they, they have a rule book which lists, uh, which, which sort of indexes every uh, offence that you can be fined for, like dropping yeah. litter, whatever, not having lights on your bike. And each one has a code, as uh, Paul says, uh, like an offence code or something. Um, and, uh, you you they think had, they would have a code for miscellaneous offences, I guess, but apparently not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Isn't there one for like disturbing the peace or some bullshit like that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and yeah, in any other place that they'd, they'd they'd come up with some kind of compromise of that. But the boys said uh, we don't, we haven't specified. Uh, um, we haven't got like a ticket number for this offence, so we can't actually hand out the fines. Yeah. Um, uh, probably until the second week of December. Um, the police have got their house in order, so they can find people. Oh. Um, so yeah, so, so, so you're not completely safe. In, in fairness, they had said they weren't going to uh, issue massive numbers of fines from from day one. They were going to like phase it in gradually, and first of all, just speak to people and remind them that there is now a mask law, and then start fining properly from about because it's, it's not like we've had any time to be prepare no. for this. It comes a, comes a bit of a surprise to yeah. everybody, I think. Uh, so yeah, um, the, 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 the fines will the fine regime will begin probably sometime. I don't know after Christmas. I don't know. <laughs> After everyone is like, vaccinated, then, uh, yeah, then, then they're going to have these fines sorted. Then, then yeah. it will start finding people for not wearing masks. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you're seen without a mask in the public space uh, and, you, and you refuse to put one on, you could be fined 95 euros if you're an adult, 38 euros if you're a child between the ages of 13 and 16. Under 13s don't have to wear them. And how much if you are a justice minister? Uh, yeah, the, 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 then it's originally initially 495, then goes down to 95, <laughs> and then you just get pardoned. So Okay. Yeah. Oh, no, but you have to make a mandatory donation to the Red Cross, right? 
Yeah, well, it's not mandatory, but yeah, you you you, 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 you have to make Yeah, it's strongly encouraged. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, uh, yeah it's, it's strongly advised. Uh, and of course, uh, one bunch of people who have been sanctioned this week is a group of Vindicat <laughs> students in Groningen. Uh, <laughs> uh. Man, this pandemic is really just beginning and ending with fucking Vindicat. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, exactly. The, 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 they've been the sta- they've been the stars of the show. Uh, you may yeah. remember the bright boys and girls of Vindicat from previous hits, such as "Let's Go Skiing in Italy" while the resorts are empty because everyone's fleeing the pandemic. So around thirty of them this time filmed them on filmed themselves on board a party bus, uh, flagrantly not wearing masks, singing, which of course is uh, something you're strongly advised not to do. Just generally standing too close to each other and basically making tits of themselves. Um, so they've now been uh, caught via a WhatsApp group. Yeah. They've been rounded up and they've been sanctioned by Vindicat. Vindicat said they had no sympathy. Not no. with the offenders yeah, specifically. Well. That's just their general life philosophy. Yeah, but, uh, I gotta say, uh, Vindicat <laughs> is doing a better job kicking out sort of rabble rousers in their group yeah. than the FA Day is. It's uh, that's truth. not saying a whole lot, yeah. man. Yeah, and, yeah, and Vindicat is also it seems to be better organized in finding people than the Boas. So yeah. perhaps the answer is to get yeah. Vindicat to go around uh, organizing the mask finds. Yeah, sounds good. There was uh, there was a glorious um, audio um, <laughs> clip that was leaked. Because uh, these Vindicat students who were on the party bus, uh, Vindicat initially uh, denied that these were Vindicat members. But then this audio clip um, leaked by a Vindicat member who said, uh, yeah, uh, be careful, guys. Uh, the, the video has been leaked uh, to the press and uh, this is, uh, this is uh, turning into a mess. But this, uh, uh, this girl who was, who was speaking, she had this very distinct... Um, core uh, uh, accent yeah. Yeah. Um, because Vindicott is one of these uh, special kind of uh, fraternities and um, uh, whenever someone becomes a member of it they adopt this very specific accent and yeah, yeah hers, hers just sounded like a parody and it was a, <laughs> it was a glorious uh, it sounded gloriously uh, but to be fair um, uh, Hugo de Jonge uh, was uh, released a video on Twitter where he was singing in his office next to a guy <gasps> in Limburg. Yeah. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, they were just following the example of our health minister. So, yeah, you, well, you can't blame them. I th- think. That's, that's where they went wrong, obviously. I mean, someone should have told them. N- n- yeah. N- n- yeah. Never do as De Jonge does. <laughs> yeah. Or Cropper House. Basically, anybody or, in the government, yeah, any you should government just minister. not... Not do as they do. <laughs> do not do not take yeah. them as a role model uh, yeah. of yeah. any type. Yeah. And there was also some opeth about Black Friday, wasn't there? Yeah, there was Black Friday opeth because lots of people decided the um, the pandemic was a perfect time to go out shopping. Uh, so of course, uh, and a lot of mayors got concerned about the number of people uh, who were uh, filling their city centres. And in some towns, uh, Eindhoven and Dordrecht, they actually closed the shops early on Saturday because of the sheer volume of people on the high street. Uh, there was some opeth here, of course because uh, Ahmed Abu Talib, the mayor of Rotterdam, he said he'd asked ministers about uh, whether they could ban Black Friday, but the ministers said they'd never received any such request. And anyway, it's not really a thing you can do practically because how do you define Black Friday and how do you ban it? And there's no way you can sort out a fight code, code for, exactly. uh, yeah, for, for Black Friday. Yeah, yeah like Black Friday sales. So we, we uh, <clears throat> I, me and my partner had last Friday, we took last Friday off because uh, it was his birthday a few days before. We hadn't taken a free day in a while. And... Uh, the plan was to go do a hike, which anyone who knows me knows that that is my partner's favorite thing to do and my version of hell. But it was his birthday, so I had <laughs> agreed to this. But 
we got back from from this very very long walk and uh i found out that he had not quite finished some christmas shopping that he needed to get done so on friday afternoon he just ducked out to go pick up a couple of things and came back sort of looking like he'd just returned from five years in the trenches um because it was a mess (laughs) he had completely forgotten we both had just sort of completely forgotten it was black friday um it was terrible out there and the next thing i knew uh the last few days there's just been about 20 bowl packages showing up because he just abandoned all hope of purchasing things and then immediately came <laughs> home and ordered everything online yeah. so which he should have done in the first place which is yeah. what he should yeah. have done in the first place yeah. i mean i think his argument was sort of like i want to go support some of the little local stores that we like but yeah i mean this was just yeah. not feasible so other people were supporting them and also spreading the pandemic exactly yeah, yeah they were supported enough yeah. no. when did black friday become a big deal in the netherlands i don't remember this till quite recently uh, no, I think I think it's it started uh, four four years ago or yeah. something. I think yeah. MediaMarkt specifically started with it, and then all of a sudden everybody adopted it because yeah. you know Dutch people love a sale. Yeah, yeah. love a sale, and they think they are little America, so they yeah. adopt everything from the United States. This is um, true. Yeah. But what yeah. I what I think I don't think it ever was uh, such a big deal until now. But I, th- I think one of the things that contributed to it was uh, there was news, positive news about a vaccine so yeah. people yeah. were uh, uh, were excited and they thought uh, the, the, uh, they thought that somehow just thinking about a vaccine would protect them from coronavirus right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah it's it is stupid but i think that's that's one of the reasons why uh, people went out in so much numbers because i don't remember that it is no. a big deal I think uh, the first time I remember seeing it here was like three or four years ago. Like it definitely, yeah. when I first moved here, it was definitely not a thing. Yeah. yeah. And I always love that Black Friday seems to be a period of two weeks. Yeah. Even though it specifically yeah. says it is one day. But yes. yeah. Yeah. And of course you have Cyber Monday as well. Yeah. Which is a day when you order all the stuff you couldn't get on Black Friday. On the internet. <laughs> well, the yeah. reason that that became a thing is because basically, you know, so in the US, this is an actual, well, it's not an official holiday, but of course this makes some sense because Thursday and Friday are federal holidays because you have Thursday off for Thanksgiving and then you have Friday off. And so what used to happen basically is that all the stores would be shut on Thursday and everybody's off from work on Friday. So they stores would open up really early and have good Christmas shopping sales because Christmas is a gift-giving holiday in the U.S., but then what happens is, is everybody goes back to work on Monday, and then, of course, like, nobody wants to do any work, so what you would do is do some, like, o- online ordering, right? Like, bef- <laughs> when this was a thing, but not, like, quite as much of a thing as it is now. And so that's how, like, that awkwardly named Cyber Monday thing started. Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, yeah. But but, but um, following the mass crowds on um, uh, on Black Friday, um, uh, yeah, the, the mayor Abu Talib has decided that uh, Rotterdam's shops are going to close early on Friday. Now, bearing in mind they usually close at nine o'clock. What kind of um, what kind of time do you think they would uh, would be closing o'clock. to make a Clearly difference? Clearly, they're closing at eight o'clock. Yeah. Well, so basically, the, the mayor he wants to close the shops at six o'clock. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, they had that they had been uh, because this is the Netherlands. They had an enormous um, uh, multi-party negotiation about it. He wants to close <laughs> at six o'clock. Um, uh, the, 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 the shop said they were ha- they were happy to close at seven. The police suggested five o'clock would be a good time to shut the shops. So, sure enough, <laughs> they've all come together and compromised on a time of eight o'clock. Yes, that's eight <laughs> o'clock thought, is when the shops close. They will close wait, a whole hour I thought, early. To, I thought we, everything already had to be closed at eight. 
Or no? Um, I can't no. keep track of all of these. No, I, yeah, no, because we're back out of the partial lockdown. Oh, yeah, so we're out of like partial yeah. restrictions. Yeah, you're right. No, no, so yeah. we're in the partial lockdown, but we're out of the uh, the extra restrictions, <laughs> okay. which, meant, which meant no late night shopping. So late night shopping's yeah. back on, but they're closing an hour early, which, as you remember, uh, back in the autumn, that's what did, exactly what it did with the bars. They closed yeah. an hour early, and it made no difference whatsoever. So. It just seems to me <laughs> that when you close the shops earlier, it means that you will have more people in the shop during the opening hours, because... Yeah. Yeah. people want to buy whatever they want to buy so they yeah you just create a smaller they... time frame for people to do their shopping yeah exactly so, yeah i mean i wonder how true that actually is because i think that there's a lot of like especially with like cope avant kind of stuff right that you just like go out and you wander about and like whatever and you're not really like there with like your your list like trying oh, to like pick right. through your yeah. purchases kind of stuff yeah, so. I always go by. I always go shopping with a particular goal yeah. in mind. So I'm projecting that on everyone, but that's of course that's not the not, case. That's not. I don't think how a lot of shoppy people shop. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I true. think because there's nothing else to do. Also, that like this is an activity, right? That like you don't have, you can't go to the bar and get a drink. You can't go to a cafe. You can't go out for dinner with your friends. So like, well, the shops are open, so I can go shopping with my friends. So I'm going to do that. But yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how much of a difference an hour is going to make. This week was in no way, shape or form as tumultuous compared to the Forum for Democracy soap we had we saw last week. Um, yeah, just to summarize what happened last week, uh, prominent party members were tired of everyday leader Thierry Baudet for not doing enough against growing anti-Semitic sympathies in the party's youth organization. And they demanded uh, he would give up his number one position on the party's candidate list for the March 2021 election and resign from the party's board. And this resulted in this avalanche of representatives giving up their membership and other resignations, blah, 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 for a complete and detailed account of the chaotic roller coaster slash dumpster fire of last week i referred to uh, to the previous episode um but on friday uh when we last updated you it seemed that baudet had won the party war after most of the dissidents gave up their membership and baudet was uh, yeah, practically the only one left in the party hmm. um however over the weekend, it, it became clear that since the fifth board member had resigned at some point during the week, we completely lost track of it, but mm. some point in the week, the party's leadership was now split between two pro-Baudet members and two anti-Baudet members. And this meant that the party had reached a complete impasse uh, since, for example, um, to file the party's uh, candidate list for the election, you need a majority of the board. So mm. they, it couldn't be reached, so they had an impasse. In a hilarious attempt to break this impasse, the team Bestur, so the two anti-Baudet members, tried to simply unregister Baudet as a board member. But this Kamer van Koophandel coup turned out to be uh, fruitless. Unfortunately, <laughs> I thought it was the, the most Dutch way of, uh, yeah, of having a coup. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it somebody out with the uh, Chamber of Commerce. Brilliant. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's basically what they tried, but yeah. it wasn't allowed, so sad for them. Yes. Uh, the two camps reached a compromise during the weekend. Uh, they were going to ho hold a binding referendum among the members over the question whether Baudet should stay on as the party leader or not. There were immediately two problems. Mm -hmm. The terms referendum and leadership are nowhere mentioned in the party statute, so they are 
meaningless basically mm. so the legality of this idea was immediately questioned and there were also concerns about the, um, the party's membership administration which supposedly is a complete mess uh, I believe the government um, uh, warned uh, the FDA party in October that they had to sort out the administration very quickly otherwise mm. they would cut the um, uh, the subsidy for the party for example so yeah it's, it's unclear if they resolved it or not mm. uh, but yeah if you then uh, go hold a, a referendum uh, among your members, then of course it is uh, necessary that you have administration yeah. in order. Nonetheless, on Thursday, Baudet tweeted that members can vote online for the referendum, and that started on Thursday 6pm for 24 hours, so as we are recording it, the referendum is still going on. But there were immediately reports from people who um, were no longer a member, but still got a uh, link to, to vote in mm. their email, uh, and that is, uh, I read the frequently asked questions on the uh, Forum for Democracy webpage, and they define a member as someone who had paid their contribution contribution somewhere in 2020 and it is irrelevant if that person uh gave up its membership or not right. so so, so members yeah so all the people who walked out of the party in the last two weeks are eligible to now to vote yes. on whether or not Bode should remain as leader yeah yeah uh, yeah but, but paul you've had a really punishing reading schedule this week right you've had to read the FAD's website <laughs> and amsterdam's like uh, christmas light regulations <laughs> when yeah. are gonna, what have you done to deserve this <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I'm 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 questioning myself that as well. I will I will go to church uh, tomorrow or Sunday to ask what what the hell is going on. Because I think you, should. you need to yeah. repent for sure. Yeah. I mean, you needed yeah. to do that anyway. But obviously, this week you've done something dreadful in a previous life. Is the only thing yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. You must have killed and eaten the prime minister or something. I, I think so. And so. ate him. Um, uh, I I loved also the fact that uh, Baudet and Forum for Democracy Party they insisted that we should call this whole thing a referendum on the leadership mm. and then you go to the frequently asked questions page on their website and then the title of the page is the leadership elections frequently asked questions even yeah. though we were specifically asked not to call it a leadership election because it yeah. isn't we weren't no it's to... not but, yeah, he wanted to have a leadership election but he was told he couldn't because it's not in the party statutes yeah, yeah. yeah th 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 it should come as no surprise to anyone the concept of leadership does not exist in the FAD's constitution quite <laughs> frankly <laughs> given what we've seen in the last couple of weeks I also just yeah. love the fact that it's all coming back round to given the party was born um, to fight to contest the, um, the Ukraine referendum back in 2016 yeah. that's now coming back to another slightly ropey um, uh, uh, questionable referendum as well yeah Which it started with a dodgy down. referendum and it's yeah. probably going to end with it yeah. <laughs> dodgy so non-binding totally <laughs> unclear what the point is referendum yes yeah. it's yeah. very exciting <laughs> so that was the FA day but there's also been news about the yeah. FA day yeah yeah, there's perfectly boring political news, right? Just very yeah. normal, sort of like not at all exciting political news, is my understanding. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Excellent. Last week, we forgot that we had other political parties than the FAD. <laughs> um, I think, by the way, a lot of parties are happy with uh, with the FAD's uh, soap that we had the past two weeks because yeah. it uh, diverted all sorts of attentions, uh, nasty attentions from, from their party. For example, the SP also had problems with their youth organization for these radicalized communist uh, members. Mm. Uh, but... 
uh, but uh, SP just simply cut them off and uh, and and turn their back to it. So yeah, that's it's also a way to uh, to deal with uh, with uh, uh, annoying teenagers. But okay, um, yeah. Going back to the other political news, the ruling party of Prime Minister Mark Rutte released its candidate list for the upcoming Tweede Kamer elections in March. Uh, it is led, of course, by Mark Rutte himself, who is followed by not one, not two, but four women. Number two is Minister for Medical Care Tamara van Ark, followed by MPs Sophie Hermans, Bente Becker and Dylan Yesilgus. I think this is definitely a... Um, a, a punch uh, to uh, Deza Sester and GroenLinks yeah. who are making a fuss about um, uh, uh, how many women they have on their candidate list but yeah. uh, the top 10 are all men basically except yeah. uh, Deza Sester's number one position. Yeah. The current VVD faction leader in the Tweede Kamer, Klaas Dijkhoff, had already announced a couple of months ago that he would leave politics after the election so he's not on the list uh, and what's interesting is that many other current MPs are not on the candidate list as well. Uh, many positions are given to people who have been working for the VVD behind the scenes so there are a lot of spokesperson and assistants for example um, and that is quite interesting because they are actively trying to work out all these experienced MPs there is an internal rule that um, VVD MPs uh, can stay on for 8 years and then have to leave unless they are essential uh, but yeah basically the VVD has decided to get rid of basically all of their MPs so that's right. I thought that's a choice. Was, that yeah. was a choice yeah, yeah. Is, is, uh, are there any potential ebultures I think is the question everyone's <laughs> asking <laughs> yeah the, the Netflix MP who uh, <laughs> yeah. wrote a book that she, she was the backbencher of backbenchers and basically yes. she was she spent uh, she no time in have, Parliament at all she yeah. spent no time doing her job most, spent most of the time as I say writing this book and watching Netflix yeah, and she managed to be in for two terms as well. Wait, I thought she? we she got, stopped talking about Cherry Baudet. <laughs> <laughs> no, Cherry Baudet ha- hates Netflix. Uh, yeah, but, that's, uh, I don't know. I mean, like, there's doc- there's there's history documentaries on Netflix. You might like it. Yeah, yeah. There's always a program about the Nazis on. He yeah. thinks. <laughs> yeah, there are a lot of uh, World War Two. Did Netflix do an indeed. original series about if the Nazis had won? I mean, come on, that seems right up his alley. <laughs> No, that's HBO, but um, that, that's, uh, 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 that seems uh, like something that he would enjoy indeed. Uh, no, he thinks Netflix, watching Netflix, um, distracts young people from uh, doing their one and only job, and that is uh, getting a family and caring for their family. Oh, so, okay. I thought you were going to say voting in the referendum for the FAJ leadership. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, you need an internet connection for that. So yeah, I yeah. think a lot of people uh, have an internet connection specifically for Netflix, so... Um, but yeah, uh, speaking of Ibelche, by the way, she was also the one who uh, infamously um, uh, interviewed uh, murdered politician uh, Pim Fortuyn yeah. on the new aspiring uh, Omroep yeah. uh, Ongehoord Nederland. Um, but the VVD's youth organization, and uh, yeah, again, a youth organization of a party, the JVD, mm. it responded to the list on Twitter with only... The caption hashtag Baantjes Carousel, which is a reference to um, Jobs for the Boys, basically. Yeah, yeah that's a yeah. Baudet's criticism of the whole system in the Netherlands where uh, yeah, politicians hop from one uh, uh, job to another within you know their, their own uh, political bubble. Um, and the organization finds the new list refreshing and diverse, but it has too many insiders and too little people from outside The Hague. And I think that's generally uh, the, um, uh, the opinion of, uh, of most people. Yeah. Uh, 
yeah. when they looked at the list. Sports news, Ajax are still in with a shout of qualifying for the knockout stages of the Champions League, but they'll need to win their final group game at home to Atalanta Bergamo next Wednesday. That's because they lost 1-0 to Liverpool at Anfield after a cost drifted over Andre Onana's head like a stray seagull and into the path of Curtis Jones, who knocked it into the empty net. If they fail, they'll drop down to the Europa League, where they could be joined by three other Dutch clubs. PSV Eindhoven will definitely be there after they won 1-0 in Granada to qualify with a match to spare. AZ drew 1-0 at home to Napoli, but will go through if they win their final game away to Croatian side Rijeka, who are the worst side in the group. And Feyenoord also need a win in Wolfsburg to progress after they lost 2-0 at home to Dinamo Zagreb. And speaking of Vinod, we're clearing the decks this week in the sports section for the only sports news that anyone really cares about. There's Dick Lawyer news. There's Dick Lawyer news. There's very exciting. There's very exciting Dick Lawyer news. Yeah, Dick Advocat is retiring. Sure, right. Again? Everybody totally believes that. <laughs> actually, if he was going to do it in any year, 2020 would be the yeah. year that Dick Advocat actually retires. Yes. Well, he's announcing it yes. this year. He's not actually retiring until next year. Oh. Oh, okay. But yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. As um, reliable news goes, this is right up there with uh, Hugo de Jong announcing the number of uh, intensive care beds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but he says, really, this time, he's definitely retiring, unlike all the other times when he's decided to quit football. He said, quote, I know I've said it before, but this time you can hold me to it. Sure. Sure. As we said many times before on this podcast, you can't keep a good dick down, and every time Dick <laughs> thought he'd uh, settled into his retirement, up would pop a crisis hit club um, with needing a troubleshooter, and first name on their list was Advocat. Yes. First, so first it was Sparta Rotterdam. That didn't go so well. He got relegated with them. Um, then FC Utrecht, and latterly Feyenoord. But Advocat is 73 now, and it looks as if Decab really will be his last port of call. The club have done pretty well since he arrived. They've gone 24 matches in the league since they last lost. In fact, the last time they lost was before he came, just over a year ago. That's a good way to end, I guess. It is, yeah. And, and they're doing well in Europe. Dick Advocat is, is also, of course, lest we forget, the most successful Dutch <laughs> national team coach of all time. He is the I best national a... team coach the Netherlands has to offer. I mean, he's been part of, of so many clubs around the globe that at some point, I mean, statistically, the, the, the loss of statistics says that he must be the most successful Dutch coach of all time because he's been in so many places. So yeah, that's my theory. Yeah, he's also been uh, national manager of uh, Serbia. Russia. Russia, yes, manager of Russia. Yeah, so he's been about Turkey. Yeah. yeah. Everywhere. Yeah, he's gone to Turkey. Uh, Turkey's a good note to finish on because, of course, uh, Feyenoord currently have a plague of chickens. So perhaps um, he'll get a chicken. <laughs> he'll get a chicken or more as a as a leaving present. Even though that would be extra. I mean, petition to start a GoFundMe to buy Dick Advocata chicken. Yeah. He should just get all the chickens. Yeah, they, I they agree. Just, they should give should him all a... of the chickens. <laughs> he and that guy, the the car mechanic guy, should get together and start a little kinder booterai, I think, with yeah. all the chickens. Ooh, I would love that. That'd be brilliant. Yeah. This is what he should do in his retirement. And then he could also take care of Booba the elephant. Yeah. I mean, that's a political move that nobody could disagree with, right? Just give yeah. the elephant to Absolutely. Dick Advocat. You will hear more about Booba later in this podcast. Yes. It is... The most wonderful time of the year. I wanted to use the actual song in the intro, but it turns out the rights to it are too expensive. <laughs> we can sing a song that is uh, inspired by, but legally different from the <laughs> from the Christmas music. Yes, we love. exactly. We have to yeah. come up with our own sort of like knockoff birthday song for for this. 
I am referring, of course, to the Top 2000. That is the annual marathon radio program that plays the 2000 most popular songs of all time. It runs 24 hours a day, starting on Christmas and ending on New Year's Eve. Obviously, it is the best Dutch tradition and the only aspect of Dutch culture worth saving. The songs are determined by voting, and you can go vote for the best 35 songs of all time. We will link to where you can do that in the liner notes. I have voted, obviously, I voted 35 times for the bluff hit Zoutelanda. So I want to know what you guys voted for. I didn't vote. I didn't vote. I'm what? not participating in this. The top 2000 is an abomination. It should be set on fire. It is the most appalling week of the entire year. I'm, I'm not going anywhere near it. I voted for a number of Dire Straits songs. Just I'm sure you Gordon. did. Yep. Yeah. That, that, yeah. That's totally another reason did. I'm not listening to it. Yeah. Because of the extreme danger because... of being exposed to Dire Straits. Yeah. I'm yeah. so excited for the top 2000. Yeah. Last year they had 22 Coldplay songs, I think, in the top yeah. 2000. Oh, this is... That's embarrassing. But yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is just proof that this list is mostly compiled by boring white men. Yes. Yeah. So this is why I'm but, trying to encourage more diversity in the voting. I had a lovely time putting my list together. It was a lot of fun. You should do it. It's fun. I'm not a big music listener, so I don't even have five favorite numbers that I can put on the list. You have to vote for at least five songs. Yeah, you have I think. to vote for five songs. You get a minimum yeah. of five and a maximum of 35. And you can't uh, actually vote for the same song over and over again. I photoshopped my uh, little ballot. So did yeah. you just use different spellings? That's why I um, I also made a little joke about uh, about uh, voting in the top 2000. And I voted for René Leblanc's If I Tell You. Oh. But he is his uh, performance name is René Leblanc, but he's actually called René de Witt. So I just changed uh, <laughs> that name for the second entry and he claims that everyone calls him him the Dutch Engelbert Humperdinck even though he's the only one that that calls himself that. that name yeah. yeah so I used that title as well and um, yeah. the Nederlandse Engelbert Humperdinck and I also called him um, just Engelbert Humperdinck so, there you go yeah I then I had five entries so you are uh, you're trolling the tw- top 2000 Paul is that what Indeed, you're telling me yeah, yeah that's but, the, only, the only way to play it but just to put this whole top 2000 voting thing in in perspective, last year, six and a half million people in the Netherlands voted for the top 2000. Yes. Mm. And how many people do you think voted for the municipality elections? No, no, it's a little bit over six million, yeah, okay. but more no. people vote for the top 2000 than in actual elections. But I can't vote in actual elections and I can vote in the top 2000. So That's I'm here right, to yeah. ruin your election one way or the other. <laughs> <laughs> so speaking of voting, in the interest of doing a bit of service journalism, local governments are looking for 70,000 volunteers to help with national elections in March. The government wants to have an average of four rather than three officials at each polling place and more people will also be needed to count the ballot papers after voting has taken place. Polls will be open two days earlier than usual. These changes are to ensure COVID measures can be observed. You do need to speak at least some Dutch. This is what I was told when I called the local gemeente and asked, um, although they sort of reassured me that you you don't really need to speak a lot of Dutch to be able to uh, judge who voted for who because you're just sort of matching the names on the ballots. There is a special website where you can register if you're interested. We will link to that in the liner notes. I'm going to volunteer. My partner's going to volunteer. I think it's like a nice thing to do if you want to sort of give back and participate in the democratic process in this country, even if you're not allowed to vote. The Tweede Kamer debated this week about the fate of the Netherlands' last circus elephant, Booba. 
The Netherlands imposed a ban on performances and traveling around with wild animals in 2015, which is, by the way, a ID from Mark Rutte. Yes. Uh, I was reading his biography by Petra de Koning, an NRC journalist, and uh, in it uh, she wrote that um, Mark Rutte basically single-handedly put it in, in the coalition agreement with the PvdA. Yeah. And he, they didn't even debate about it. It, it. it just came up with him and he said, well, let's ban circus animals. And then they said, okay. And I wholeheartedly support this decision. Yeah. So there was a ban on, on circus animals, but no solution could be found for the 45-year-old Booba. And the African elephant was given an exemption by the government so it could stay with uh, with the circus uh, where it was held. It has been said Booba had been part of the Freiwald Circus since it was two years old. So yeah, it had been part of that uh, circus for a very long time. The exemption period expired last June, but the animal still walks around the Freiwald family's private land in Limburg. The Netherlands does not have an elephant sanctuary despite efforts to found one in 2017, which failed due to a lack of demand. So it's hanging out with the family, but no longer performing, right? That was like their little compromise, basically. So what exactly are this poor elephant's options? Well, the first one is to stay in Limburg with the Freiwald family, but, you know, legally that is actually not allowed. But the other one is to send Booba to France to a recently founded sanctuary funded by French actress Brigitte Bardot. I thought it was a nice uh, nice little detail. Yes. The circus family opposed this option because Booba would be the only elephant in the sanctuary there. And they say uh, Booba regards the Freiwald family as its own herd, they claim. Okay. I don't know anything about elephants, but okay. I mean, I assume he's the only elephant living with the Freiwald family here. So that seems like less of an argument to me, but okay. Yeah, 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 indeed. But but because it has been with this family for 43 years, they say he recognizes us and he yeah. likes us. And elephants are, of course, a herd animal. Yeah. So yeah, uh, separating them from the people and the species he is not a part of right. uh, that he knows that's their argument and PVV MP Dion Graus agreed with the Freiwald family and he issued a motion to allow Booba to remain in Limburg a majority of the Tweede Kamer supported this and Agriculture Minister Carola Schouten went along and decided to give Booba a permanent exemption however several animal rights organizations have said they will fight the decision in court they say an elephant does not belong with a circus family and it should be going to the elephant sanctuary in France. So this uh, story will uh, will get a tail, as we say in the Netherlands. Oh, God. I mean, it, the, can't the Frank Sanctuary buy those Namibian elephants that are uh, missing in action, <laughs> that, are being, that are being sold right now? These Nazi elephants. Yeah, the Nazi elephants. Uh, yeah, how, they, were, they were selling a lot of elephants. A lot, they? like 140. Just like a homeless elephant, we never forget the patrons who keep this podcast going. So, if you want to earn our eternal gratitude, why not sponsor the Dutch News Podcast on Patreon? For as little as one euro a month, you can help us to help you navigate them to canalways of Dutch society, politics and culture. And with a mass vaccination programme and an election coming up in 2021, there's plenty to keep track of. This week we say hello and thank you to two new patrons. First up is Onya Tunney, who's from Donegal in Ireland, but currently living and working in Newcastle upon Tyne. She says, uh, quote, Being originally from a border county, Brexit is a dirty word, but thankfully we have the little brother of the Schengen area, the common travel area. So that makes uh, her current status a bit easier. And there will be a direct ferry from France to Ireland, I yeah. heard. Yeah, indeed. Yes, although it's only taking freight at the moment. But yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it starts taking passengers as well. It's a transport the freight within the EU rather than taking it via the UK which is just going to be immediate it'll never it'll never actually arrive in France no. 
It'll be stuck in a in a queue. In It'll get stuck in a queue for, in Kent. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> Kent declares independence and uh, then rejoins the EU. Yeah, at which point it looks like it gets stuck in a queue in Surrey instead. No. So uh, she just says she works as a physiotherapist and asks, what's it like to work as a physiotherapist in the Netherlands? Um, well, you'll join a very big trade union because there's yeah. <laughs> masses of physiotherapists. Has anybody ever done a study as to whether or not there are more physiotherapists here than there are in other countries, like per capita? I feel like I there know. must be. Everybody is always going to the physiotherapist here. Yeah, and like once a month, a new physiotherapy practice seems to open up in yeah. my neighborhood. It's like, uh, it's, it's, it's crazy. It's very yeah. true. Something worthwhile to investigate, I think. Yeah, but de- definitely. It's one of those things, I suppose, because physiotherapy, just about every Anne for sacred package includes physiotherapy. No. Yeah, so that's then true. Physio- so then there are masses of physiotherapists to, you know, to, to, to cater for all these people who think, well, I've paid for this, so um, this, so I'll have some. Yeah. Uh, Oni goes on to say that uh, her sister lives in Leiden, so she's trying to learn a bit of Dutch and just uh, kind of keep uh, keep up with things. She also says she's managed to use the word OPEF in her Dutch classes and very really good. impressed her teachers. So, uh, yeah, we're very pleased to, to make you look smart. Good work. Uh, her question is, why are the Dutch obsessed with deep frying things like Oliebollen and Bitterbollen? And also, why are they into crazy mad dance music? Like uh, Snollebolkus. Snollebolkus. <laughs> Snollebolkus, even. Yeah. Snollebolkus, yeah. I can answer both of these questions. I mean, oh. it's they're, it's very straightforward. They're into deep frying things because their food tastes terrible and everything tastes better if you deep fry it. And they're into crazy mad dance music because they're all fucking high on ecstasy all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, but Snollebolk, is that dance music? It's, yeah, it's party it's music. It's, it's not dance music. music. My, yeah. my theory is that um, people don't often realize this, but during Carnival, they play all these sort of uh, party music, such as Snollebolkus. Yeah. Uh, but the other half of the country goes skiing. and what you do there is you go to the Apreski and there they play the exact same music so everybody knows Snollebolkers if you are from the south or from the north so yeah that's that's my theory and also my theory for deep frying food is not the deep frying aspect is important but the deep freezing aspect is important because you can save it for a very long time yeah this was uh, I thought this was a good point on your part I mean I think a more serious answer is is I'm not really convinced that the Dutch deep fry more than other countries Countries. They certainly don't deep fry things more than the Scots because that's impossible. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think all cultures deep fry stuff. And yeah, I mean, this is just one of the things that people sort of talk about. I think the deep fried food has become more of a traditional sort of viewed as more of a typical Dutch food than maybe you see in some other places. Although, like, yeah, yeah. The, like you said, I mean, the Scots are also notorious for deep frying stuff. Yeah, you do get sort of lots of deep fried snacks, you know, road yeah. from roadside vans and things, which is yeah. maybe you don't get in other countries. But uh, yeah. yeah, and Bitterbottle in particular is still a mystery why anyone voluntarily puts something that hot in their mouth. Yes, this <laughs> is true. <laughs> so thank you very much to you, Anya. Uh, our other new patron is Rebecca, who uh, I think is in the States, but uh, didn't give us uh, an exact location but she says uh, if things are normal we'd be traveling in the Netherlands uh, this fall but we can't um, so my husband and I were thrilled to find the podcast we've kept up with news discovered a little about Dutch culture and learnt our favourite word Opef. Man, we have really done language a disservice. <laughs> We've, yeah, and what have we done? I know. <laughs> I, I'm not sure I'll ever be able to sleep at night again. No. Knowing that we've delivered Ophef to the world. Yeah. We are the Ophef virus. Yeah. It's, it's worse than Corona. This is our contribution to yeah. 2020. The, this yeah. is our little spark on the dumpster fire. Making Ophef. Uh, yeah. Giving Ophef to the world. She, she also has a question, though. She says uh, she's working on improving her Dutch reading and uh, is looking for a Dutch newspaper to subscribe to online and gives us a guide 
guidance and in English she likes the New York Times, Washington Post and The Guardian. So um, my guess is that since uh, she's reading The New York Times and The Washington Post and The Guardian that she's a little bit of a newspaper snob. Yes. No offense here. Did, I think we say discerning reader but yes. when people are giving us money. <laughs> Yeah, the discerning reader. That's right. They're giving us money, Paul. You have to be nice. To them. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be nice. Uh, I would advise the NSA. I think that's the yeah. That's yeah, the I think NSA is the way to go for sure. Yeah, I think NSA. Yes, possibly Trau. Trau, I think, is also uh, always yeah. a bit underrated. Um, yeah, NSA. Yeah. And if you're feeling a bit more ambitious, um, maybe one of the weekly magazines like Freie Nederland. Yeah. I mean, oh, yeah. I, honestly, I think you should just read the NOS website. Like, the NOS does yeah. quite good, sort of straightforward news coverage. I mean, I understand if you want to support journalism financially, because obviously I believe very strongly people should. But mm. yeah, I mean, you can also just like read the NOS website. I think it's very good. They do a lot of, you know, kind of keeping you up to date with most things pretty straightforward. Sometimes I find it very entertaining to read. I mean, I'm sure this is true of lots of Dutch, you know, media outlets, but I like to read the foreign coverage from the NSA or the, the NOS because it's like, it's very very interesting to see what the Dutch think about the rest of the world, uh, which is <laughs> sometimes questionable. Uh, it, so uh, Rebecca said that she is trying to improve her Dutch reading. So that means that indicates that she has some sort of basic knowledge of the language. I think so. Uh, but my yeah. advice would depend a bit on how well you are. You can read the language. If yeah. you are very new to it, I would always suggest to read the Jeugdjournaal yes. news, which is more yeah. aimed at children. So they have a lot of... Um, uh, uh, stories from children's perspective but they also write about these um, developments internationally and yeah. and here in the Netherlands but in a uh, straightforward way in a quite easy language or the most mm. easy language and then you have the NOS website the normal website which is always their language is also not very complicated or at least compared to the other newspapers yeah. their language level is um, is a little bit lower than that and if you are very advanced to it then I would suggest to register for one of these newspapers and or stuff like that so it depends yeah. a bit on your reading level it does depend on your reading level and also just what you're looking for exactly I mean if, you, if you're just looking to keep up with uh, the day to day news and the NOS website is very good and like you say Paul it's uh, written in very clear straightforward language um, but if you're looking for something maybe to understand the news more in depth maybe look for a, a good quality uh, opinion pieces or background pieces then uh, yeah, you, you want to maybe go I think maybe more for uh, NSA and also maybe for either um, something like the Huna Amsterdamer it's yeah. always very good yeah. at uh, a, a more kind of long read type uh, deep dives into what's going on. NSA used to have Cher Baudet as one of their columnists, they but did, they ditched yes. him a couple of years they ago. They very sensibly that, ditched him. Yeah, yeah. yeah but that, uh, it is whispered in, in one of these books that have come out recently that the NSA ditching Cher Baudet uh, as one of their columnists was the reason he went into politics because it meant that he had money troubles. Yeah. So that was yeah, basically his... Uh, uh, just like Donald Trump did, by the way. Oh, so are you trying to blame the whole FAD nonsense on the NRC. I am doing that now, yeah. Um, but, he could have uh, learned think, to code. Come on. <laughs> yeah, indeed. <laughs> I think uh, NSA is my newspaper. I read it as well. I think yeah. Gordon too and Molly probably yeah. also. Yeah. That's awesome. So, yeah. They do good podcasts as well. NSA. Yeah, yeah, I listen to Hakazaka every week for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I hope that's given you a bit of a steer, Rebecca. Yeah. And thank you again for your support. If you'd like to become a patron of the podcast and earn yourself a free shout out and the chance to ask us a question, go on to patreon.com slash dutchnewsnl. All right. Are we ready? Buckle in, folks. We've got... It is a lot. I went a little too crazy. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of words in this script. There are like 
70 pages of notes I have. It's it's a little out of control. You just made your own Haagse podcast. I basically about made this my saga. own Haagse yeah. podcast, yeah. Yeah, you, you made you, you, you've got almost as much paperwork as somebody who is claiming childcare allowance <laughs> from the Belasting Deans. Yeah, work. exactly. Um, I, if it was all blacked out, it would be my dossier from the Belasting Deans, basically. Yeah. Um, but we are going to talk about the two Slach affair. We we chose to do this this week because we, like everyone else, were very wrapped up in the FA Day drama of last week because you have to take joy in the things that you can in life in 2020. Um, but there were hearings going on um, for this scandal, and we wanted to make sure that we did sort of our due diligence in covering them because this is a much more important story than Cherry Bonet's childish meltdowns, um, as entertaining as that was to watch. So I'm going to start kind of all the way from the beginning. So we're going to do a little bit of backstory. We have talked about this before a bit, um, sort of in bits and pieces, but here is your comprehensive kind of backstory. So in 2004, the Child Care and Quality Requirements for Playgroups Act, which is a ridiculous name for a law, was passed. That allowed parents who work to get a subsidy for child care, and the allowance is paid directly to the child care center by the tax office, and it is based on income, as many subsidies are. The Ministry of Social Affairs and Employment is responsible for the law, but the Ministry of Finance, which oversees the Belastingdienst, or tax office, is responsible for paying the allowance. This becomes important later. So wholly unrelated to this, but around the same time, the so-called Bulgarian fraud scandal comes to light. News broadcaster RTL breaks a story in 2013 that Bulgarian citizens were fraudulently applying for housing and care benefits. Um, In the end, seven people were convicted of fraud, and 805 Bulgarians received about four million euros in unjustified payments. In response to this, the Tweedacomer demanded that the tax office implement stricter fraud prevention measures. Later in 2013, the first known instance of the government engaging in the Kafka-esque nightmare occurs. A childcare center in Eindhoven is investigated for misusing the childcare allowance. So remember, this payment is made directly to childcare centers, not to the parents. There's a case in court. The judge rules that no fraud occurs. So this is all free and clear, right? No. The tax office classifies this child care center as, quote, suspicious, pays a visit to a number of the families who are using the center, finds no fraud in its own investigation, but nevertheless classifies 317 parents who are using the center as fraudsters. It is worth noting that nearly all of them had dual nationality. This will also become important later. The tax office goes on to do this all over the country. There's 630 known instances of basically this exact same scenario playing out at different child care centers across the nation. There's other situations that get caught up in this as well. Parents, for example, making small mistakes on their application forms. They have their benefits revoked. Um, This happens to about 8,000 parents. This is like really just like ticking the wrong box or like not filling out a part of a form. Like just kind of bullshit mistakes that everybody makes. Yeah, or or not providing like supplementary documents was another, uh, another quite common one, wasn't it? Yeah. Exactly. Like you, had produce, you had to produce a certificate or a birth certificate or something, and you forgot. And you forgot to include it in the package. Yeah, exactly. So now, not only are these parents not eligible for the benefit, but the tax office wants them to pay back the entire amount of the allowance that they have received. So, <clears throat> I don't know if you know this, but daycare is real expensive. This can amount to tens of thousands of euros. So, one of the lawyers in the case that I've spoken to about this said that she thought, on average, the families she were representing were told to pay back about 40,000 euros. 40,000. Do you you have 40,000 euros to pay the tax office tomorrow? Because I, I do not have 40,000 euros to pay the tax office Well, tomorrow. if you want to sponsor us on Patreon, we need 40,000 <laughs> <Right>. euros. <so. laughs> because Paul has been fraudulently putting his yeah. fake yeah. children into uh, child care centers. <laughs> so if you couldn't pay this back immediately, the tax office could garnish your wages. It could seize your car. In my case, I assume they would seize Truby. 
So that's bad. But of course it gets worse. The tax office refused to tell people why they were being accused of fraud, refused to hand over documentation to let people contest their case. In some cases, there was no avenue for appeal. So if you just messed up a form, you couldn't reissue the form after they pointed out to you that it was wrong. Which violates the basic, uh, basic governmental rules in dealing with you know, citizens. I mean, yeah. and also just basic human decency and common sense. Yeah. In other cases, the office declared parents who owed more than 3,000 euros to be, quote, grossly negligent. In some cases, this was 1,500 euros. So if you, if you were told that you were fraudulent, that you had to pay back this money and you couldn't do it immediately, then you were declared grossly negligent if that amount of money was more than 1,500 euros, which is like one month of childcare. Like it's nothing in terms of this. So the official moniker for this is Opset Hrovaschald, which has serious legal consequences. Um, it's a little complicated. It's most often used when a company intentionally lies about its earnings to avoid paying tax. I had to call up a several tax lawyers to straighten this out because it's not that like common. So what it means is, is that individuals can't have access to debt relief. In a normal tax situation, if you screw up and you owe the blasting deans a bunch of money that you can't pay, they will work with you to create a monthly payment. And after a period of time, they will wipe the debt clean, even if you haven't paid back all of what you owe. So if you are a Zay Zay payer and you don't save up enough money for your taxes, right, the, the government doesn't show up at your doorstep and confiscate your car on the 15th or the 1st of April. They will, you know, create some sort of payment plan, this kinds of stuff. Because of this designation, you're not eligible for that. You're also not eligible for other assistance from the Gemeente. Like you're not eligible for subsidies for housing or for healthcare. So like Zortuslach or Hortuslach, you're not eligible for any of that kinds of stuff. CDA MP Peter Omzicht, the only person who has the right to complain about the outcome of an election this year, has a good Twitter thread um, we will link to about this. Research by Trow found that 96% of the time people were given this designation improperly, right? Because it's supposed to be designed for people who yeah. are intentionally defrauding, not like making a mistake. 96% of people being wrongly blacklisted as fraudsters is a it's just a startling statistic. Really. It's insane. And now and again, the tax office gets things slightly wrong. You know, they might miscalculate how much you owe in income tax or get a, get a percentage wrong here or there. But to, to, to be that wrong about something so serious on that scale is just staggering. And like, remember, because all of these people are getting childcare subsidy, for the most part, they are not high earners, right? That these are not like super rich people. No, they're totally that dependent on this money to to, exactly. to just be able to, to, to live and eat, you know. The Blustingdienst um, uh, deputy uh, minister, she talked about this 96% and she said, we discovered that in 96% of the cases, uh, this this OGS determination was given uh, uh, falsely. But it basically means that almost uh, without an exception, they falsely accused people of being fraudulent. It's a, it's a devastating devastating percentage. And this designation in particular has like real knock-on consequences for stuff. I mean, not being able to... So it means if you're in subsidized housing that you can't stay in your subsidized housing. It means that if you're getting some sort of benefit for your kid, some unrelated benefit, if your kid has like dyslexia and is going to uh, whatever, and that speech therapist is being subsidized by the government, that you're not eligible for all of that stuff. It is completely bonkers. Yeah, so I mean, this had enormous consequences for people. People have had to move house. They've had a, their relationships have broken up. I mean, the, the, the people have had serious lost their long -term, job. Men, lost their jobs, had mental health problems. Have been devastating for you know thousands of people. So fast forward into 2018, RTL and Trow. So shout out to them for bringing this whole thing to light. They publish a, 
a damning series of articles that just shows what has been happening here. Now, there had been indications of problems before. There had been a national ombudsman report in 2017 about the original Eindhoven case, but this series of articles is really what blows the lid off of the whole thing. So in 2019, the then head of the tax office, Menno Snell, establishes what they call the Donor Commission. This is supposed to investigate this whole affair. Uh, Side note, I cannot help whenever this name comes up of thinking of the Donner Party because it's spelled the same, even though it's not really pronounced the same, which is a group of Americans who were traveling west, got stuck in the mountains, and then resorted to cannibalism to survive. So that's what always this makes me think of. So rather than, I don't know, trying to make this whole situation better for themselves, the tax office just decided it would be better to repeatedly shoot themselves in the feet until they ran out of feet. They shot themselves in every limb possible. Just every every foot that they could find near to them, they shot, basically. (laughs) Following a protest, like an actual physical protest with signs in front of the tax office in Rotterdam, Snell finally agreed to let everybody involved have access to their documentation. And that results in the great blackout all path of 2019. <laughs> Uh, Paul, yes? could you recall the details? What I remember is that uh, the Blastingdienst um, promised to be open and transparent about this uh you know, scandal. Yes. Uh, and they sent these uh, huge number of binders to to their victims um, to, you know, give them the information they need in order to, you know, get their lives back. But when they opened these very thick, I mean, 10, 15 centimeter thick binders, they found that almost every single page in this binder was completely and utterly blacked out. Yeah, it was all redacted. <laughs> It was all redacted. So people don't know why they're being accused of fraud. The tax office refuses to give them any information about their case that has all of these horrible knock-on effects. They're being told they have to pay back all this money. And after the whole debacle comes to light in the public and there's like terrible press and protests, what the tax office does is hand over a bunch of redacted binders. So people still don't have any idea why they were like given this designation. Yeah, and now they're even more furious, of course. Yeah, so of course, (laughs) photos of those blacked out pages go viral on social media. Um, A month after that debacle, Menno Snell resigns. This is in part because another investigation by RTL News and Trow show that Snell knew the problem was larger than he had let on and had been dodging requests for documents about it from the Twitacomer for more than a year. So in March, that's March 2020, this report is released. What that reveals is that essentially after this whole Bulgarian tax scandal thing, the tax office created this like special squad of people. The RTL story refers to them as cowboys um, who would invest fraud. And rather than allowing people the normal way of paying back the money over time, any fraud uncovered by the squad, it's called the CAF squad, which is short for, I don't know, some giant Dutch word, they would be treated (laughs) as intentional fraud. So it's not that you made a mistake, it's that you were intentionally trying to defraud the tax office. Among other things, the report notes that there's a case of one woman who was declared a fraudster for overpaying her contribution for childcare, despite being in the hospital experiencing a high-risk pregnancy of twins. And was declared a fraudster. A few months later, the Dutch Data Protection Authority releases the results of its own investigation, where it finds the tax office behaved in a, quote, unlawful, discriminatory, and improper manner. That's because the tax office used dual nationality as an indicator of fraud. That is against the law in the Netherlands. And also, the tax authorities were using an outdated database because they stopped being able to collect this information in 2014. This was like a law that was an unrelated law that was passed. And they were supposed to have deleted it. 
But in 2017, the tax office said they didn't have access to this data. Of course, they did, and they were using it. So essentially, if you were a person who, for some reason, had dual nationality, your parent was born in another country or whatever, this was listed as an indication of you being a fraudster. So, so, so outright discrimination. It's just outright discrimination. Yeah, which yeah, which is against the uh, Dutch constitution, of course. Yes. So that's that's a problem for them. Since it had become pretty clear that the tax office wasn't being honest and the ministry was continuing to hide information, the parliament set up the Parliamentary Interrogation Committee on the Child Care Allowance. Um, I quite like the translation mm. of that one. Which brings us <laughs> to the last few weeks. Parliament started two weeks of hearings in November. First, they heard from experts and civil servants. Um, in the second week, parliament heard from politicians. I want to note that the first person parliament heard from on this is a lawyer named Ava Gonzalez. Perez. She is a national treasure. She has been representing a big group of people affected by this. In the second week, things get very spicy. Unsurprisingly, the finance folks blame these social affairs folks. Remember that there are two ministries involved here. The committee hears from ex-tax office chiefs Frank Vankers, who held the post from 2010 until 2014. He resigned for being involved in an unrelated tax office debacle. Eric Rebus took over from him. He ran the place from 2014 until 2017. So he was in charge while all of this was going on, but before the news broke. He did not clean up the mess, but did manage to sign a sweetheart tax deal with Starbucks. I was obviously distracting him. Yeah, it's very, it was very distracting, <laughs> giving all of those benefits to giant multinational corporations. Meadow Snell takes over from him, so the committee uh, committee heard from him uh, as well. The committee also heard from the current finance minister, Wopka Hoekstra, the ex-minister of social affairs, and now labor leader, Lodewijk Asher, Tamira Monark, who is, uh, which number is she on the baby day list now? Second, I think. Second, two. Yeah. yeah. She was running the social benefit ministry at the Ministry of Social Affairs and spent her time there, other than not paying attention to all of this stuff that was happening over at the tax office, trying to cut the benefits for disabled people. Um, she's now the Minister for Medical Care and Sports, so that's making me feel real great about how this pandemic is being handled. And finally, of course, the one and only Prime Minister Mark Rutte. So what came out of all of these hearings? Well, the current benefits head at the Finance Ministry, Alexander Van Huffela, who looks like a uh, less colorful uh, replacement uh, head of Hogwarts uh, uh, school of uh, of um, I forgot the official title of Hogwarts, so this fail this uh, my joke no, failed. She, she doesn't like a teacher in Harry Potter, though. You're right. She yeah, has delightful right. hair. That's what I wrote. <laughs> that is all that we have for you this week. This podcast is a production of Dutch News, which can be found online at dutchnews.nl. We will include links to everything we've talked about today in the liner notes. You can get in touch with us by email to podcast at dutchnews.nl. If you want to help us out, please subscribe to the podcast and leave us a rating. You can also now back us on Patreon at patreon.com/dutchnewsnl. You'll earn yourself a free shout out on the podcast. And also you can ask us a fun question that we may or may not answer. My thanks to Gordon Derrick and Paul Paters. I'm Molly Quell, and we'll be back next week.